Greetings, gentle folk. This is James Val, and we're on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is episode 525 of the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as your interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, James Duval is going to be joining us. He was in uh, Donnie Danko, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, and of course... He was in Independence Day. It's a great film. And uh, on December 1st, he has a new film coming out called Beast Mode. So get ready for that. And James is going to be talking this, uh, about all those things and a whole lot of stuff. He's, he's, he's done so much stuff, and uh, we're going to hear about a lot of it. So it's coming up in a few minutes right here at On Screen and Beyond. And a lot of things going on in the uh, world of film and everything. Things are starting to slowly move back and start productions and things like that. So we got some things coming your way. So what do you say? Why don't we get right into it? It's time for Remake Madness on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness, it looks like the reboot of Scream, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, has uh, wrapped and is scheduled to be released in theaters on January of 2022. And the animated cartoon classics uh, characters, Tom and Jerry, are getting remade into a live-action animated movie, and it's set for a 2021 theater release. And also, Disney is remaking Home Alone. That's right. They're going to be releasing it on their Disney Plus service. And the original director, Chris Columbus, who did the original Home Alone, had this to say about it. What's the point? <laughs> and sometimes we, we feel the same way, Chris. And that's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Upcoming new movies, Neil Patrick Harris and Nicolas Cage will star in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Kind of a crazy title there, but Harris will play uh, Cage's talent agent in the action comedy. And Cage plays a creatively unfulfilled actor facing financial ruin who accepts a $1 million offer to attend a superfan's birthday party. And then things start going bad. March 19th is the release for that one. And uh, All the Old Knives is a uh, espionage thriller, and it will star Chris Pine and Jonathan Price and Lawrence Fishburne. Amazon Studios is making that film, and you can look for Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley in an upcoming sci-fi film, Chaos Walking. It's set for theaters in January 22nd. 
And that's it for upcoming new movies. Next, it's time for Sequel City. Sequel City, well, another Predator sequel is in the works over at 20th Century, and this time the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane will head the film, and Deadpool 3 will be written by two writers of Bob's Burgers. And uh, coming to America, that's number two America, with Eddie Murphy, will be released on March 5th, 2021 on Amazon Prime, and it's the sequel to 1988's comedy hit, Coming to America. And that's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. TV on DVD, Snowpiercer, the complete first season, will slide onto Blu-ray and DVD on January 26th. And December 8th, Yellowstone Season 3 rides into stores. And The Expanse Season 4 lands on Blu-ray and DVD on December 15th. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? Movies on DVD, December 22nd. The War with Grandpa will land on DVD and Blu-ray. February 2nd, you can look for Tesla with Ethan Hawke. It arrives on Blu-ray and DVD and tells the story of one of history's most talented inventors. And on January 26th, Fat Man, starring... Mel Gibson as an in an action comedy movie and uh, it's about a disenchanted spoiled rich kid who uh, takes a hit <laughs> gets an assassin to take a hit on Santa so <laughs> what do you think of that one um and uh, like I said that's coming away on January 26th and that's it for movies on DVD coming up next on on screen every on TV and entertainment time <laughs> TV and Entertainment Time, Star Trek Picard Season 2 will start filming in January. And you can look for Ken Jennings to be guest host and temporarily for Jeopardy until a new host is decided on. And Robert England, known for his role as Freddy Krueger, will join the cast of Stranger Things in Season 4. Season 4 will land on Netflix sometimes in 2021. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, James Duval coming up right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today's guest on On Screen and Beyond is an actor who we have seen in many independent films, cult films, and blockbusters as well, such as Donnie Darko, Gone in 60 Seconds, and Independence Day. His latest film comes our way on December 1st on DVD and digital, and it's called Beast Mode. It's James Duval. James, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Hi, Brian. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. James, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I've seen i can't say i've seen every film you've made because you have made a ton <laughs> but i've seen yeah, some I, I try to stay busy i'd be i'd be shocked if you had i hadn't seen everything i've done that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i was looking over your 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 credits and it's like man you know how do you have time to do all these films I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. I went through an interesting transition where I was, very, you know, I mean, I, I guess the environment was much different than, you know, the, the movie environment. But back in the 90s, you know, you'd work on two or three films a year, and I'd take a couple of months each movie, you know, 30 days at least, sometimes two or three months. So two or three jobs, you know, that was kind of a full year. 
mm-hmm. and you needed to recover from a three-month job. Um, as you know, the di- digital technology started to come to the forefront. I needed, you know, it changed the way we made movies, which is a wonderful thing in a lot of ways. But because of that, it afforded us to be able to make movies much cheaper, much faster. So I found that for me to stay active and it's always, you know, and it will be, it's a lifelong goal to continue to improve and to learn about the craft and learn to act. And, um, I think if anything over the past 30 years, I'm just, I'm much more comfortable doing what I do. I have a great, I'm, I'm, I don't have a better time doing anything else. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. First off, let's get into beast mode. Uh, you know, it's, it sounds like we're getting into <laughs> some type of you know, mood here. <laughs> but, but beast mode is your, your new movie. So uh, can you give us an idea of what the, the movie is about and your part in it? Yeah, well, the movie's kind of this satire on Hollywood uh, fame in general. You know, and I think uh, not just the actor who's... It's, it's centered around this movie star, Huckle Saxon, that, which I play, but also the people that work around him. You could almost kind of say, like, without being too political, whenever we have leaders in this country and the, and the six fancy surround them, and even if they're going to do really, really bad things or not good things or things you don't agree with, let's just say, mm-hmm. that people will fight to give them the ability to, to mislead people. And you find that very predominant, I think, in the film business. So... Uh, I would really like to commend, you know, Drew and Spain and Chris with this movie and coming up with something completely outrageous and crazy and funny. And at the same time, it's extremely poignant, which is one of the things that drew me to it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So it, it's it's a horror, but I, I get the impression that it, there's comical moments in it, right? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A comedy horror. Yeah, <laughs> either one. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's interchangeable. interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. Now the cast of this of this film, um, uh, C. Thomas Howell, who actually we've had here as a guest on On Screen and Beyond, and yeah, Leslie. Well, uh, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just say I'm just this that cast is. I'm going to let you finish because I'm going to over them when you're done. Okay. Uh, like I said, <laughs> C. Thomas Howell, and then Leslie Estabrook, and she was also on the show. We had her as a guest. And then you had Ray Wise, who everybody is going to recognize because, I mean, his face is known for everything, but he was in Twin Peaks and Robocop, and James Hong, same thing. He's one of yeah. these actors that everybody knows and sees. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, when I'm when I'm involved with projects, you know, beyond trying to work as much as possible, I, one of my favorite things is to work with my favorite people. And that's enough to pull me into a project, even if I don't love the project per se. Mm-hmm. So when you get a script, that's kind of a lot of fun. And, you know, they, they, when they, had, you know, shared with me who, you know, that they were talking to C. Thomas Howell and then we're talking to James Hong and um, Ray Wise and, who they were getting Leslie Easterbrook and, you know, I'm Robert Costanzo and Teddy Margus and like this great and Carrie Finkley and just like this great eclectic group of actors. It was sort of really, you know, I don't know if we'll get to this question, but it was almost more like I was hoping that they would pick me other than I'm choosing this movie, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. You know, just for the opportunity to work with all these people that you just named off. Mm-hmm. And I can tick them all off my list. And I can also say that, you know, whatever expectations people have which is one of the joys about being in this business 
is when you work with people like C. Thomas Howell or you work with James Hong or you work with Leslie Easterbrook, there's so much more than you could have, I could have even hoped for. Mm, yeah. You know, so not only are they incredibly talented on set, but they're incredibly giving artists and they're really extremely friendly people. And you really couldn't ask for more when you're working. You really couldn't. I know it almost sounds like I'm giving this run-of-the-mill answer, but not all the movies work out that way. Mm-hmm. I can say I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've done enough movies where I can say I've not had such a wonderful time here and there, which is also part of the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. H- had you worked with any of these people at all? You know, I don't want a big spoiler alert. I don't have scenes with Ray Wise, ladies and gentlemen, but... <laughs> Um, Ray and I had worked together before. Oh, you have, yeah? Which is kind of how Ray got involved. I'm glad, yeah, they were looking for somebody, and they needed somebody like Ray. And when I had mentioned, and they knew, actually, I had mentioned I'd worked with him before. They brought him up and asked if we could reach out, if he might be interested. And we were just extremely thankful that he said, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see the movie, but he really does. You know, whenever he's on screen, he steals the limelight. He's such a powerful actor. Yeah. And so, you know, so enigmatic and charismatic and yeah yeah and i, I mean, think it really comes through in this in this film yeah know? so him you know i and i did again i had this incredible experience we did a short that i'm still waiting for to come out by the way but uh he plays a veteran hitman and i'm kind of the younger greener hot under the collar hitman that was partnered up with him and we had quite a quite a blast making that little movie. Hmm. I have to say. Huh. So it, it now generally with a short, I, I, I'm presuming that the the hopes are is that someone might pick it up and would say, "Hey, let's make a full length movie with this." Is that correct? I mean, I guess there's. I mean, with the short, sometimes I think this was more of an experiment uh, for this uh, filmmaker, but she's extremely talented, and I know that she's actually part of the reason it's been shelved is because she's also very prolific. So she's working on quite a few projects at the same time. Ah, uh, yeah. And groundbreaking projects at that. So I think that, you know, we're all going to hear from her very soon. And then hopefully she'll bring, she'll bring up uh, the film, yeah. the little movie. So, so and that being said, you know, you also, for the hope that to work with Ray sometime in the future again, as with anybody that I worked with uh, on Beast Mode. Mm, yeah. Uh, how long a shoot was Beast Mode? Well, that's interesting. You know, we shot the first, probably the first half of the movie in about two weeks a little over two weeks and then we ran out of money believe it or not one of the investors pulled out mm-hmm. so nice. we had to wait another year to come back and shoot uh, another portion of it and I think that we had everything done except for one little piece that we had to come back again six months later to shoot again and it's funny because at that point I had to cut my hair for another project for a few other projects yeah so there is one or two moments in the movie where i'm wearing a wig which (laughs) is crazy but funny because even if it looks like a wig it's not out of place in that you know what i mean i you know i play huckle saxon i play michael the young innocent you know kid transformed into you know mike excuse me transformed into huckle saxon Mm -hmm. and then i you know play uh Huckle Saxton is Michael. So it's kind of three characters, yeah. It's uh, Michael, it's Huckle, and then it's Michael pretending to be Huckle, if that makes sense. Wow. <laughs> you, you must have got confused. <laughs> no, it was actually really simple, to be quite honest. Oh, really? I mean, it's, yeah, once you kind of, you know, you know, I know who the, who Huckle is. You know, nothing like Michael. Um, and I know who Michael is, and then you have Michael pretending to be Huckle, and then as you, as you see, as the film progresses, 
at times he almost it it's like he becomes Huckle when he gets when he sort of falls into the corruption of being a movie star and being able to get away with everything. You know, he, he's trying to emulate Huckle. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael's trying to emulate him, and to some degree becomes him. Yeah. Huh. Now, were you involved with any uh, makeup, you know, special effects makeup and things like that? Um, well, putting it on, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not, I mean, wearing it, I should say, not putting it on, but wearing it, right. yeah. So to yeah. become the Beast took about, I think it was about two and a half hours, three hours, with the fingers and the mask and wow. the whole nine yards. Now, how was that, but breathing it, in that? <laughs> well, you know, it's, I think it, I can drink through a straw. <laughs> I drink through a straw because I drink a lot of coffee when I'm filming so I can drink through a straw when I'm you know when I have the mask on but for the most part I actually you know this is only by the, you know three hours to put on so by the time I'm in it I'm not in it for much more than two or three hours wow um, still still a while <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it was you know it wasn't it wasn't completely I know it's for some creature actors it's been a lot more overwhelming it wasn't surprisingly that overwhelming for me yeah yeah um, so I, I actually reveled in it and I had a great time yeah, you know, it was kind of again the idea, of, you know, what you brought up earlier. I like to challenge myself as an actress and do all, you know, so to cross genres, you know, musicals and dramedies and drama, straight drama and comedies and sci-fi and horror and mm-hmm. sci-fi horror comedy romance, you know, whatever I can to kind of try to increase my repertoire. Yeah, so yeah. to speak. Huh. And I and I got to say, I really enjoy, you know changing it up and playing all these different types of parts and characters and you know being that the case for i think quite a few years now you know it was it was a well it was a welcome job to play Hi- My- michael and huckle at the same time yeah that, like, oh, finally i get to do this on the same job right yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know i mean there's quite a few times i think early on in my career uh when i was doing independence day i was actually shooting two movies at one time wow Jeez. and yeah and and be that as it, as it may, it actually wasn't as difficult as it sound might sound. You know, I'm on a one mil, a one million dollar movie in Los Angeles for one week, playing a Los Angeles kid, and I get on a plane and fly to Utah in the desert on this seventy six million dollar movie called Independence Day with Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith. In you know, mm-hmm. directed by Roland Emmerich on this massive set. So just the environments alone lent themselves to a completely different feel. Wow. You know, when I go into a different you know different makeup artists, different wardrobe, different script. So it was very easy to actually move from one character to another because hmm. it was all kind of provided for me. All I had to do was really show up and, you know, have done my homework, know my lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you ever get confused? Really is. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought, I thought that would be the case, but, you know, over the years I've ended up doing it quite a few times, you know, where I would shoot two movies simultaneously. Mm-hmm. If anything... It's it's not a preferred thing only because it can become overwhelming as far as time. Right. So if I'm working 12 hours on one set and 12 hours on another set, how do I sleep? <laughs> so then it becomes a thing which is also difficult for a set to kind of plan around it because they need to run smoothly as well. So it can be a wrench in the works for them, but, you know, make it so I'm only six hours on this set and six hours on this set so they can both share me without overwhelming me but not falling behind on their own schedule. Right. Yeah. So in that sense, at times, it, could have, it can be overwhelming, you know, but I just kept finding myself in that position and then... I think it started, uh, then it started where I would play two different characters in a movie or at least one character pretending to be something and then revealed as something else mm-hmm. quite a few times. We started with Gregor Rocky's Kaboom. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, with, 
with, when you start to, with the years of experience, I just didn't find that intimidating in the least. You know, and starting off like that, really. Yeah. It more seems to become par of the course for me over the years. Yeah. You mentioned in, in Beast Mode, uh, you, you got to play uh, the good guy and the bad guy, basically. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask. Do you prefer playing the good guy or the bad guy? Which, in this case, you got to play both, so it didn't matter. But in general, do you prefer one over the other? Well, generally, I think the bad guys, which I don't generally see as bad guys all the time, or I think are more interesting, just because it's not, you don't have necessarily these sorts of persona or shoes to fill as you would as the good guy or the hero. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, I've got to say, I've enjoyed playing the hero too, the straight hero and then the off-kilter anti-hero hero. Um, you know, I think with anything, you try to make it your own. But yeah, I think there's something interesting about, you know, not that heroes don't have their own self-conflict but certainly i think villains seem layered or appear layered to me in the sense of most villains don't really think they're the villain right exactly yeah you know including i mean i think something profound for me probably starting off as a kid is when i when i was a little boy there was only one star wars movie called star wars and darth vader was this frightening man who picked people up by the neck and broke their neck and threw them and (laughs) choked people with the force and killed obi-wan kenobi and tried to kill luke skywalker and that's how we knew him. Mm-hmm. Only over time did he become this sympathetic character by the time he got to Return of the Jedi. So I remember sitting in the movie theater while I was watching Empire Strikes Back, and he cuts Luke's hand off, and Luke's like, no, that's impossible. And I was right there. I was like, that's impossible. Wait, what? <laughs> how can this be? <laughs> I was like, I'm your father. This is no, no way. And Oh, he just re- my horror. He reiterated my horror as well in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Jeez. And become full circle where it is his father, and then he redeems. And then you go to the prequels where it was like he didn't set out to be this bad guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Most bad guys don't actually, you know. Yeah, it's whether true. they're a product of their background or their environment or something else happens, you know. Most of the times they were good guys at some point, mm-hmm. and you know maybe it's just being a, a fan of film. But I like to think of it as the idea that I always thought this was a brilliant moment and one of my favorite lines, um, and it's from Batman: The Dark Knight. You know, when Aaron Eckhart's character, you know, tells him, you know, he's like, you either live long, you either die a hero or you live long enough to watch yourself become the villain, see yourself become the villain. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. And it was almost that idea you fighting for something so so hard that it corrupts you. Yeah. And then dealing with, you know, and then we're dealing with like, which I love about movies and books and the storytelling element of conflict and overcoming that conflict. Mm-hmm. It's like, what bigger conflict than self-corruption? Right, yeah. Huh. So I've always been really, you know, I, sorry to be so long-winded, but I'm really fascinated by the bad guys, too. Yeah, yeah. No, and and, and don't worry, this is what we're listening to. We want to hear you. <laughs> we want to hear, hear what you have to say. Yeah, and, and, well, you know, strangely enough, I love the good guys, too. You know, and when I was younger, I only identified with the good guys, the fight for good, the, you know, the eternal fight for something that seemed like it was overwhelmingly impossible. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the underdog. Yeah. I've always kind of identified with that as well. Yeah. But, you know, that's also, the more films that I get the opportunity to do, the more opportunities I have to play both sides. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of the fun part, you know, if, like, someone were to ask me, if I, you know, I think I was talking about this the other day, like, well, if you could be in Star Wars, what would you be? I'm like, I, would you be a Jedi or a Sith? I'm like, I'd be either one. <laughs> Whatever you let me be. Right. 
I'll be a space asteroid if you let me be a space asteroid. You, know? <laughs> you see that asteroid flying by? It almost hit the fuck, and that was me. <laughs> Just add that to my, you know, add that into my bag of tricks, into my resume of stuff that I've done. Right. Hey, yeah, yeah. You're an actor. You can you can be a rock if you want. <laughs> yeah. I should be able to anyway. Yeah. I remember I. You know, it was something that, you know, I thanked my mom for this some years back, and she laughed, but I was like, you know, when I was a kid, you used to tell me I couldn't hang out with my certain friends because they were a bad influence, and do you remember when you used to ask if I would jump off the bridge if they jumped off the bridge, and I told you, yes, I would, because <laughs> I was being rebellious? Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't do that today, but those are the only, and I told my mom, but those are the only types of people I want to work with. The only filmmaker I want to work with is someone that, if they told me to jump off a bridge, I would jump off the bridge for them, because I know if they asked me to do it, it's safe. Yeah, yeah. It, it better be. <laughs> yeah. So that's the kind of confidence I like to have in the filmmakers I work with. And then, you know, that being said, so I like to, I'm always up for some kind of challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I noticed in Beast Mode that the special effects were done by the, uh, by the Academy Award winner Brian Wade, who did Aquaman, Blade, and um, Nightmare on Elm Streets. Uh, I can't remember which ones, five, four and five or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't had a chance to see much more than a few clips, but I can say when I saw some of the effects work, that was beyond even what I had imagined. Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, that's quite a credit right there. (laughs) It really is. You know, and and I'm, again, you know, I'm so happy to hear that, you know, they, you know, and that he came on board and they were able to get him because, you know, for me, once, once I finished the filming process, even though I'm pretty close with Spain and um, Chris, Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone through other projects, so I wasn't aware of some of the post work that had been done, other than you know the lament of it taking so long to get the post done, which is the lament of every filmmaker, right? Really. Yeah, yeah. So how how did you get involved with the film? Well, you know, we have I have a mutual friend with uh, Spain and Chris uh, Tyler Jackson. He's also one of our associate producers on the movie, and they were looking for a Huckle Saxon, a Michael, ah. who played both roles, and you know, it really was Tyler who came to. Came to went to bat for me. I really said, well, you know, my friend, my buddy Jimmy's an actor, and you know, he's done these. This is his resume. He's done these films, and he can play that part with hands behind his back. I'm like, really? And I'm like, no problem. So I, you know, he set up a meeting, and I met with them, and they gave me the script. And of course, I loved it, and thought it was crazy and outrageous. And then told me about C. Thomas Howell and some of their cast. And then I was really, you know, I, I was really hungry for it by that point. You know, but I've also learned not to put all your eggs in one basket, too. I'm willing to put everything that I have into it if I get it. But I have to let it go if it doesn't go my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all I can say is, you know, I'm extremely thankful that, you know, between the meeting with Tyler and then really actually getting on with uh, Spain and and Chris kind of cemented the whole thing. You know, fortunately, fortunately they were fans. And fortunately, when we were filming, and I think... As far as I know, that the movie's done, they're happy with what I did. <laughs> yeah. So I can tell you that for me, in a lot of ways, it's like again, the director is the captain of the ship to me. So I want them to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want you know in that sense, so it, it what Spain and Chris feel is everything for me. I I'm there to please them. You know, I'm there to please myself too, and be part of this great collaborative effort. But I really, you know, it's very important to me to help us. I like to see them as a captain of the ship, and we're sailing towards the destination. And do my best to make sure we get there, yeah, and as smoothly as possible. Yeah. Well, people can watch out for that on December first. Beast Mode's on DVD and digital. 
Um, and uh, prepare for some insanity, folks, because uh, and I don't mean PX90. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with more of our guests right after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, James, uh, of all the films you've done, I mean, like I say, I'm, 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 right now I am looking at it, and it's just pages and pages and pages. <laughs> Is there <laughs> any one film that, you know, really sticks in your mind as, you know, you were so glad you got this part? Um, well, gosh, there's a few like that. Donnie Darko would be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, believe it or not, I did it right. I did it maybe a month or two before I did Donnie Darko. It was called the Doughboy. Mm-hmm. 2000 year was the year of 2000 was a really special year for me in the sense that there's a filmmaker, Greg Rocky I worked with and we did this pilot that never got picked up, but it was such a great thing to work on. And I started making movies with him and going to Sundance back in the early nineties. So to move from that to this movie called the Doughboy. Uh, which won the Sundance Screenwriting Award, then to go to Donnie Darko, and then fill, I, while I was doing Donnie Darko, actually, I was filming another movie in between. <laughs> I forgot. So I was filming a movie called Americana. Like, I took 10 days off and went to South Dakota, filmed the movie, and came back and finished Donnie Darko. And that movie means a lot. So there was this period in 2000 where I'd shot four movies, pretty much, or three movies in a pilot back-to-back. No, it was four movies. And then another film with the man named John Mortsugu, who I dearly love, who is a filmmaker that Greg Rocky loves, and we did a film called Scum Rock hmm. in San Francisco. I forgot. I went in between the Doughboy and Donnie Darko to do a little movie in San Francisco. I think they only needed me for about four or five days on that. Hmm. Wow. Jeez. But uh, that year and those movies, each one in a row, have something special. Yeah. And I've had more lucrative years in the sense where I, or I should say more pro- prolific years, where I worked on more films in a year. I think one year I did 11 or something like that. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of them you go in for a day and then you walk out. And right. You're like, oh, yeah. that's another movie on the boat. And I'm like, I only took a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. But what about... Those, that little slew and that little streak and that run meant, meant a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, Americana had done SLC Punk with that director. And then Lars von Trier's kind of licensed or gave us a certificate to make our little punk rock dogma film called Americana. Hmm. Yeah. Now, of course, I have to ask you about uh, Independence Day. What, mm. what was it like to work on that film? That was one of the best times I've ever had making a movie. I've got to say, that's, that's extremely memorable, too, in so many ways. Because I'd gone from making my first movie with Gregor Rocky for under 20000 on a 16-millimeter camera would be shot on weekends. It probably took about six months to shoot back in 91. Mm-hmm. So there was no digital or Avid or editing tables back then. You had to splice. You had to oh, sync yes. all your film and then splice <laughs> it and then do sync sound. It was a completely different process. Mm-hmm. So to go from that 
And then to Doom Generation, which was our first sort of 35 millimeter movie with a full crew for, I think we made that for 800,000 at the time. And then boom, step on Independence Day, which was 76 million at the time, which you could easily double that number today. Yeah. You know, and then again, so at that point I'd been doing my third movie with Greg Rocky, Nowhere. So I was literally going from a tiny little $1.5 million movie there one week to a $76 million movie with five <laughs> units going back to LA, you know, put my earrings back in, switch my part, put on the LA clothes, be him, take the earrings out, switch the part, put on my trailer park clothes and go be the kid from Utah. In <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> so, yeah. It was, it, you know, it was the time of my life. Yeah. Be Cause then you step onto something like, so I'll give you an example. So by the time I finished nowhere, I was only on independence day for another, it went for another probably six, seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And when they moved from Utah to the stages where they built Spruce Goose and McDonnell Douglas, which is uh, DreamWorks now owns that. They had built that entire Area 51 base in Independence Day, if you remember that. That yeah, long hallway, the yeah. spaceship. That's all life-size. None of that CGI. Wow. I mean, you walk through that thing, and it took 10 or 15 minutes. It had elevators, escalators, it, the whole nine yards. They don't make things like that anymore. Right, yeah. It's all, all digital now. Digital or virtually digital, which is really cool, too. I really love the way they make The Mandalorian, but there was nothing like... There was nothing, I've never been on anything on a scale like that. And I said, say Gone in 60 Seconds was over $100 million, and that was a massive scale, but it wasn't a sci-fi movie. So it was surrounded by a lot of cars. But when you have the scale of being surrounded, maybe not like by price cars, but twice as many cars inside a stage with them being hung by a crane and dropped on other cars. Because <laughs> they're supposed to be going down the street, you know, with the big fireballs. Mm-hmm. So it was just on that scale. And, and Gone in 60 Seconds, pe- if people saw it, make no joke, that's a massive scale. Yeah. To do things like Roland's just big, 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 big. Jeez. It's, it's, it's yeah. just, just amazing. Those, <laughs> Like you say, the, the budgets they have for these movies, and the, you know, they build, so they build Area 51. I mean, jeez. Yeah, they build it. Like, so you have the thing where he throws the can and it bounces off the spaceship with the force field. That spaceship was life-size, one-to-one scale, inside this massive warehouse that they built Spruce Goose in. So it was that big. Then they built the base that everyone's looking out in from mm-hmm. the second floor, and then the ramp lowers down, and they're all walking down the ramp. And then behind that, there's a huge control room lab that goes down maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 meters, 100, 150 feet. I don't know, it's massive. Jeez. And then that went to another room that had elevators that took you where I think when you were up and you took elevators down into where the lab where they had the aliens in the, in the, in the tubes, mm-hmm. you know, yep. with the Brent Spiner's character, Dr. Oaken. Yep. And then, um, I think that was basically the end of it. And then it was in, all of that was inside this huge stage. Jeez, that is incredible. It, so, you know, it was in that they built the base literally. Yeah, you know, for the rest of so the for the stuff where the exterior was, we shot where the base where the Enola Gate took off from mm-hmm. World War Two that dropped the yep. first uh, atomic bomb. But that but so that base was real. That exterior is a real air, real Air Force base. Jeez, incredible. Jeez. Yeah, it's it's and then on that scale, there's nothing like it. Right. Yeah. It really isn't. Yeah, you can't compare anything with with. Yeah. It. And then, and, and, and to take it even a step further, so while we're filming, there's a few times when I, I remember when he goes, hey, you want to, I have to go check out the other units. You want to go look with me? I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then you go to another massive warehouse 
across the way where it's just filled with like a 12 foot diameter mothership and then all these other motherships maybe about eight feet or six feet in diameter with all these models of little ships and f-18s and they're putting fiber optics into it and they're filming all the model stuff Jeez. <laughs> all real time the whole the entire time we're filming the movie yeah then he takes me into another room where they have the miniatures of the cities another so this is the third unit and this one they had new york or la one of them it was up it was sideways and they were lighting a flame from the ground, shooting straight up, and then shooting with the camera above. So when you looked at it, it looks like it was coming down the street side, you know, normally flat, horizontal. Hmm. And you see, and I got the chance to watch them shoot things like that. And wow. Those little kind of tricks, you know, yeah. that make all the difference in the world. You know, it's like, it reminded me of when I first watched the making of Superman. And when they're having the funeral for uh, Superman's father, uh, on this field, it was they actually didn't have a real church or like little town built. That was a little model town that was maybe no bigger than three or four feet. Really, but the forced perspective, yeah, the forced perspective of the way they shot it looks like it's just over on the next hill. Yeah, yeah, huh? And it's those you know, so it's, it's it's finding appreciation, which you know you kind of already have, but it's you never cease to be amazed by those things. Yeah, yeah, and so it's exciting, you know, on every level and every facet to be a had witnessed a part of that movie and that that i can say you know with fond memories that that's how i remember independence day yeah now did you go to to get that part did you go to an open call or how did that come about well that's a great question believe it or not i had auditioned but i had actually known roland and dean because i was their waiter oh really <laughs> Yeah, they'd come into, I used to work at this restaurant, this little French restaurant in Hollywood, and I believe it still exists. It's been there, I don't know, almost 50 years, uh, La Poubelle, which translates roughly to the wastebasket, the garbage, (laughs) the trash. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was a, you know, it's it's still, it's a really quaint little restaurant, you know, nice little neighborly bar. Yeah. And after I'd done Doom Generation, I, you know, I needed, I was an actor, I was just, needed a job, I was 21 at the time. And I hadn't worked in a restaurant yet. Um, I was working in a pool hall that was kind of really cool. This 24-hour pool hall had been around in Hollywood since 1917. But the earthquake in 94 closed it down. Mm-hmm. So there was a shift across the city. Um, so I decided I needed to get a job, different type of job. So I took a job as a, you know, a busboy. Yeah. And from being a busboy, I became a waiter. And, then I, and, you know, I worked really hard at that job, to be honest. Like, whatever I do, I was... Sort of raised to just apply yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember I was. They Roland Dean came in one time. And Jackie, you know, God, I love her, but <laughs> she was like, "Oh, Jimmy, this is Roland and Dean, and this. Hey, this is Jimmy, this is my best waiter. Huh? <laughs> Kick your ass. I'm like, all right, all right, Jackie, no worries. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm not trying to meet your clientele here you know i'm just trying to make a living so i can go back and shoot nowhere next year with greg rocky right so actually already had a film ready to go and my goal at that time when i was 21 you know 22 just all i need to do is stay alive till the next movie mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to stay alive till the next movie <laughs> it's a year away you know yeah. unless i can do something between that yeah um so a lot of, you know, and back then a lot, you know, it was a busy year if I did three or four movies back then. Uh, but anyway, so they had started to come in. You know, I, I had a really 
nice, you know, they were really nice. And I know at the, at one time he actually, the first night he actually recognized me. He said, uh, are you an actor? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, how do you know? I haven't done anything that's come out. And he's like, no, because you were in this Gregor Rocky movie, Totally Effed Up. And I'm like, yeah, that hasn't come out. How do you see? He's like, no, I saw that at Sundance. Hmm. I saw his other movie, The Living End at Sundance. So I love that filmmaker. I love that festival. Like, what else? So are you still acting? I was like, yeah, of course I am. Can I take your order? <laughs> you know, that's what you think I'm here for. <laughs> Literally. And they laughed. You know, him and Dean laughed, and they were really, really, like, they were just really gracious the whole time. Knew I was this little struggling indie actor. And yeah. I remember he's like, so what do you have going on? And this is around the end of 94. And uh, he's like, what do, you, what do you have going on? I'm like, well, you know, uh, that movie, Doom, you know, totally effed up that you liked. I did another movie with that filmmaker called The Doom Generation, which is playing at Sundance, that festival you like, next month. You know, in January. And it's like, uh, maybe I'll see you there. And he's like, yeah, maybe I'll see you there. And then we had the holidays and didn't see him for like a month or two. and Or not a, two months, but about a month. I go to Sundance and... <laughs> And that's, if you saw Dune, that's a crazy movie, by the way. We've been banned in England <laughs> for a couple of years. Uh, so I remember the movie came out, and we screened at Sundance, and, it was just, and, and we're going to do the Q&A, and I start walking down, and then I get like this tap on the arm, and I look, and it's rolling, and he's just looking at me with a smile, like, and he just goes, oh, my God, this movie. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to work for this man. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Too late now. It's time to just go for it. You know? So you go down and do the Q&A of how that's just an insanely intensive film to a lot of people at the time. Because, <laughs> you know, it's the mid nine, not even quite the mid-90s yet. Yeah. And uh, I got back to L.A. after that week. And about a week later, him and Dean came into no, it was, it was about three weeks later. They came. That's why I didn't see them for a while. I'm like, I definitely didn't. I definitely won't be working with them. We got to scare them out of the restaurant. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and about three weeks later, they came back in, and he was like, yeah, you know, that was, what a crazy movie. I, I tell you, I just really love his movies. And so there was like a, whew, he's like, yeah, so Dean and I, we went away after Sundance to go write this little script. Uh, we had this idea of, like, uh, what, what kind of movie would people want to watch, you know? And we're, like, thinking... What if you looked out the window one day and you just saw this massive spaceship the size of a city and they're like, boom, movie idea. So they literally went off to Mexico and wrote that in like two weeks. Wow. Came back, told me about it. While they're like celebrating, you know, they came into Tilapu Road and they celebrated, got a bottle of wine and ordered food. And then they were just like, yeah, we put it out on the market today. And they had to make the, if they wanted to option it, they had to green light it right away. And we like, and we had all these offers within like an hour and we settled a deal with 20th Century Fox and we're making the movie. Jeez. It was like, wow. And they, and they actually go, hey, have a glass of wine with us. I'm to Jackie, I'm like, Jackie, can I have a glass of wine? And she says, sure, go ahead. You have a good wine with them. I take care of your pizzas. <laughs> so she goes, yeah, I know. I've spent uh, family and friends. So the, the, the accent's just second nature to me. <laughs> um, but I sat and had a glass of wine with him while I was drinking a glass of wine with him. He's like, you know, actually, Dean and I were talking, and, uh, and I don't know if you're interested, if you're busy this year. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm doing another movie with Gregor Rocky called Nowhere. But, yeah, you know, I'm, other than that, I'm around. You know, can't I'll, I'll squeeze you in. I'll enough. squeeze you in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just like, he's like, yeah, Dean actually thought it was a good idea. There's this part in the movie. I mean, I don't know if you'd be interested in doing it. <laughs> like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, thought, you know, I thought I was never going to speak to you again. I thought my movie scared you guys out of the restaurant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, 
you know, the whole experience was kind of, it wasn't kind of, it was extremely magical. Hmm. Yeah. And they met really, really great, wonderful people. Um, so that being said, they brought me in, they, you know, they had to cast the main actors first. Yeah. And I remember that at first the studio, it was just funny because quick little bit of trivia, the studios didn't want Will Smith at first. Really? And he wanted Will Smith, yeah. And then about a week later, Bad Boys comes out. The very first one. Mm-hmm. Came out Friday. Massive hit over the weekend. Roland goes back in the 20th century Fox Monday. They're like, you can have Will Smith. Wow, yeah. <laughs> it's just a business. It's crazy. Yeah. Talked with him before that and then like pushed it on to him after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so once he got the, the leads cast in place, he had me come in to audition. And I went and auditioned, and then I remember after I auditioned, they were just like, that's it, you're kind of down to the wire, and they, the only thing they needed to do was make the scheduling work, because actually, like I said, both films were moved, they were going at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So they worked it out, they had me on one week in L.A., one week in Utah, one week in L.A., one week in Utah, three weeks in L.A. to finish, and then they had moved back to L.A. by that time, and then they had me for the rest of the time, and they worked it out. Yeah, wow, that's great, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was really kind of cool, you know, because they wanted, you know, I think, I mean, the entire experience, you know, now I haven't thought about this in a long time, thanks for bringing it up. It really, you know, again, it was really magical because I know on one level, Greg was like, oh, that's so cool. I'm not, like, one of the, my, like, this little indie actor that I discovered is, like, going to do this big, huge movie. How subversive is that? <laughs> Super cool. And then these guys are like, we're making this big studio Hollywood movie. We're going to have this kid coming from these little weird, freaky movies. Like, how's the birthday? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know what? This is three peas in a pod, gentlemen. I feel like I'm in good company. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Now, that, that sounds like your typical, you know, what you hear, the story of Hollywood that you hear, you know, that the studio guys go into a, a, a pharmacy or a, or a restaurant see somebody and say hey kid you want to be in a movie you know <laughs> that type of thing kind of yeah it was his waiter which and the funny thing was is when i met greg Araki, i met him in a cafe and he asked me to audition for his movie really and that's how i got my very first film wow so yeah i think you know i think you know my first movie and my first studio movie were both for meeting people wow was was acting what you always wanted to do it was actually. I wanted to do it as a kid, but there wasn't much support from the family. Um, and I did, I did theater, you know, in junior high, and then a little bit, you know, by the time high school came, I kind of fell out of it. Yeah. Then, believe it or not, I just started doing extra work when I was a junior in high school, senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And I signed up for work. My dad got me a work permit at that point, and I started going and, you know, that way, go on a set, see if I wanted to be on 12 hours on a set, if that's some, an environment I would even enjoy. You know, yeah. And then I audited the acting class because I think, you know, it's funny. And I've had people come ask me. You know, it's like I want to, I want to do movies so I can make money. It's like, have you ever tried it? Have you ever been on a set? You might hate it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not at all what people think. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I happen to love it actually. I love the collaborative effort. Yeah. I love the idea, you know, um, that you're working with so many different people with so many different processes and each film is completely different mm-hmm. from the director to the makeup and wardrobe to the cameraman to other actors. And it's learning to meld with those processes that sometimes is completely against your own. Yeah. But if you can collaborate and learn to work like that, then you can work with anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you can learn to work with anybody, well then that's truly like, that's, that's the movies are the best place for you. Cause again, 
what was an interesting thing for me to learn in the beginning was that Greg Rocky had this process in the beginning where he was very specific about his scripts, like the Coen brothers, like everything was written for a specific reason and was there for a reason. You couldn't change it or take things out. Mm-hmm. And then it was going to work with other directors after that. It's like, well, you can just say whatever you want. I don't really like this. It's not that well written. And you're like, whoa, I don't know what to do without a complete blueprint. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so then I learned, you know, because I became really, really, I think, proficient at doing dialogue the way it was written. Yeah. Which is a stage thing. It comes from being on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then um, I learned over the years to become very proficient at improv and adamant and making it and having faith and confidence in that. So two completely conflicting styles that was like, I'm not one or the other, but why not learn both? Then you can, when you work with people of both processes, I don't have a problem. Because you hear about time to time, this actor hated this actor, this director hated this person. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm, yep. And usually what it is, it's not that they're bad people, it's that their processes clash. Yeah. yeah. Understandable. It happens. So I think, you know, especially for a movie to flow and to come out well, you want it to be copacetic as much as possible. I think, you know, at least for me, that's also part of the professionalism of it. So learning to get along, to collaborate, to compromise, to make it work. So it's a benefit for everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I really enjoy, and I enjoy that process too. Yeah. Like just learning to get along with other people. <laughs> we could all use that. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> James, I have one, you might call it two final, <clears throat> excuse me, two final questions. And sure. everybody tells me these are the toughest questions, so I don't know. You know, <laughs> you decide. All right. But. I like tough questions. <laughs> it's not really that bad. When you, <laughs> when you sit back and relax, what do you watch on TV? What are your favorite TV shows now and of the past? And what are your favorite movies now and of the past? Um, I guess that's not so crazy because the thing is, is that it does change over time. It's, it's difficult to say that I have favorite mm-hmm. things now. I mean, I would, couldn't probably go into all specifics, but I, like, for example, one show that I really dig now that's coming back on December 16th that I'm just crazy about is The Expanse. Mm-hmm. I love yes. that show. Yep. I've never seen a sci-fi show that made me so afraid to travel in space. And I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, go to space. <laughs> you go ahead. I'm, I'm earthbound. I'm staying here. I'm not going nowhere. When I was a little kid, I'll be like, I'll be an astronaut. I'll be I'll fly the Falcon. I'll be a fighter pilot. I'm like, I'm not. My feet don't leave the ground. Right. <laughs> so, like, so, for example, that's one show I'm really excited about right now. Um, I've been watching a lot of sci-fi lately, so... The other two shows, which has been like a dream for me, is I can't believe that once a week I get Star Trek Discovery, which I really like myself. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've got to say I love it. I love the new Star Trek Discovery, and then the day after I get Star, Star Wars and Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And then depending on the week, I get last week with John Oliver on <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some other shows in the past that I really became obsessed with were was Game of Thrones. I never, you know, I remember my friend telling me when it first came on, oh, there's this new series, Jimmy, you're just going to love it. It's like the best show on television. I'm like, right now, I just hate it, and I don't ever want to see it. <laughs> that was my initial reaction. I'm not kidding. And I did everything I thought the first season to not watch any of it. Mm-hmm. And then he had this kind of get-together at his house where he's like, we're going to watch all the first 10 episodes of the first season, come over. So I showed up at like six hours through it or whatever, and I'm like going to the kitchen, and I kind of really don't care, and I'm just having conversations in the kitchen. And he has the TV going on in the background, and I'm watching him like, wait, wait, what? 
Okay, hold on a sec. Sorry, guys. Give me a second. I gotta go watch. <laughs> She's like, so wait, wait. It's like, don't talk to me. You're in the sixth episode. I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> and I started watching it. And then Ned Stark is like, who's, you know, Sean Bean. Like, how do you, what do you mean? Like, the lead's in January. You wait, you just cut off his head. What? How are you going to do a show without your lead guy? <laughs> <laughs> I was in. And then after that, every season just became more and more. And. Yeah. One of the more recent shows that I was really obsessed with, which I've got to say is probably my one of my top, if not my favorite series ever, and it's kind of a small series, but it just really did a number on me, was The Leftovers. I've heard did it, but I've never seen it. I've, I've never seen that it. That did a number on me. That's God, I think that, like, you should know nothing about that show and watch it. And I'll say, you know, I know some people are like, oh, Damien Lennon lost. You know what? He answers what happens. The only thing you need to know gets answered. Wow! Everything else, you, you know, you don't, you don't need a book for that. You can speculate it, but I think you know, yeah, it, it toppled me mentally, mentally and spiritually, like metaphysically, just turned me upside down. In two seasons, like it's ten episodes a season, and then eight episodes in the third season, so it's only twenty-eight episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I cried. I was well at first. I was super confused, <laughs> and you may find yourself confused through most of it, but. I really got the whole thing, especially at the end. I understood everything. Yeah. And I cried and was moved in ways, you know, it's kind of like, oh, my God. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I like that, but I like that. And it <laughs> did that to me in, in a way that no show has done that to me. You know, it challenges the very idea of sci-fi, religion. It's, I, I, the basic, you know the basic premise? No, no, I I, I got to check it out now that you mentioned how you're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's not even a spoiler. It's good to know this. The basic premise is about 1 or 0.2%, you know, a small portion of the, of the population one day just disappear, just poof, just disappear mm-hmm. off the face of the earth. Yeah. And as you can imagine, that would set things in society probably a little bit chaotic. Yeah. So you flash forward to two years later, a week or two before the anniversary of what is called the departure and society is just grasping, grappling with reason to hold on the entire planet. It's like, you know, people have lost other people, family members, that they can't explain. Was it God? Was it aliens? What the hell was it? Mm. And like I said, the very last episode, they'll explain it. Wow. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, and it was mind-blowing. I never would have come up with that in a million years. (laughs) But... Yeah. yeah, at least for me. And I know there's maybe people who don't like it, but that, when you watch a show like that, that means something like that, and we all have shows like that, that's what, you know, kind of carries us on to the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are those, become those parables and those in, inspirational struggles that you think about that you identify with it in your mind's eye, you overcome. And then that's how also from the mind's eye to the regular actual day, how we get through from day to day. You know, what are the things that make you want to get up in the morning? What are the things that inspire you? What is it that makes you want to be a better person? And those really, those questions, you know, are also, why am I here? What is this about? Is there something after this? These are all the questions that all of us universally, no matter what language you are, what what sex you are, where you are on the planet, you're going to think those things. Right, yeah. There's human traits and human qualities. The stories that really kind of deal with that, I'm really taken by. Yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned, The Mandalorian. I love that show. That's a great show. Yeah, that's like, without a doubt, crazy about that show. And again, like, so The Mandalorian, I'm like, a lot of people don't know. I'm like, that's The Red Viper. They're like, huh? Like, yeah, you didn't watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, that's The Red Viper. 
character <laughs> ever. The Red Viper. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So, so what about movies? Uh, movies, oh gosh. There's so many, you know, again, like it depends on the genre. Um, gosh, what have I been watching lately? I don't know if I've been watching a lot of movies so much as like television. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about what about a movie that when you turn the you know you turn the channels on the TV and all of a sudden you uh, you see this movie and you've seen it fifty times already but you gotta watch it again. <laughs> Is there one? Do you have it, one of those? It hasn't been it hasn't been on in a, in, a, in a while. And I but I can tell you and I can tell you a short little story about it. It's called The Old Boy, the re, the Korean movie The Old Boy. Mm-hmm, yeah. Not the remake. I never got to see the remake, which I love the filmmaker and the actors and that, but the original one. And I remember my friend telling me about it and telling me about the Revenge Trilogy, you know, uh, also sympathy with Mr. Vengeance and sympathy with Lady Vengeance and going to see the old boy. And he was just telling me about it. And I remember finally coming to watch it. And I was so disturbed on so many levels that I remember it's kind of like it was almost like irreversible. We're like, I'm glad I watched that. I'm never going to watch that again. (laughs) Brilliant, but I can't handle that. It's not for me, you know? And my friend came, my friend Brett, another fellow actor, filmmaker, came over and knocked on the door like half an hour later. And I literally like just grabbed him by the collar. You have to come in here and watch this movie. And I put it on again. And I watched it a second time with him. And then I watched it probably another five or six times over the next <laughs> week. And just curiously odd, strange fascination with it. And I don't know if you've seen it. It's a dark film. The, the original series. Yeah, and challenges very dark issues, you know, and depending on a person's emotional ability, you know, may not be the best movie for some people. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the amazing things is it has you question that about yourself, which is what I think movies also can do and Mm -hmm. should do. Not every single movie, like, oh, I just saw Star Wars and I don't know if I'm a good person. You know, I mean, I don't know if you need to do that with Star Wars necessarily. Right. You know... You can't help but do that with old boy. Who have I wronged? Have I got to start writing this big list? This notebook? <laughs> are they going to come back and imprison me for 15 years? Not tell me who they are and why they're doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was just, it was so horrific to me. And yet, in the middle of it, you know, our anti heroes struggle to ascertain the truth. Why he was in prison for 15 years. Who did it? Even though he knows he's done amazingly horrible things to people in the end. And then becomes a singular vision of revenge. Yeah. Only to transform into something else where what had become a single soul or a single, I think, uh, won't be the right. He's got tunnel vision for revenge, in other words. It's just like he's got a single mind, single motive. That's it. Revenge, and then something happens in the end that you and I know that I won't reveal for our, our <laughs> listeners if they don't haven't seen the movie. Then they must. Why he changes that? Yeah, and then love becomes more important than revenge. Yeah, even if it means you have to cut something, <laughs> <laughs> which is so brutal. And no, folks, it's not his penis. <laughs> <laughs> but good guess, good guess. That was me in the Doom Generation. But good guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I think you know that it, it, it kind of you know it challenges the you know all these subjects, and it challenges what you think of yourself and other people. And I think that that's kind of like really important 
I don't know if a lot of people can handle it in a set again, but you know, that movie did something to me where I think if it came on now, I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I could watch it. You know, I don't think I see it literally for what it is, of course, anymore. Because when I did the first time, I was disgusted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the way I saw and the way I felt about it changed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, James. Yeah, I think that's what's moving. Well, I'm, no, real quick, that's just what's moving about movies and music and painting and art in general is in the eye of the beholder what it does to us and for us. Yeah, and how it and, changes uh, over time. Mm-hmm. And you know, what maybe you're. Like I said, what may be my favorite movie years ago may not be my favorite movie now. Same thing with certain songs. But tomorrow that may come back. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Very easily. Yeah. Well, James, I want to let everybody know and remind them once again that on December 1st, coming out on DVD and digital, Beast Mode, you're in that one. People should definitely go and, uh, well, I was going to say go and see it, but, you know, see it. We don't go out too much anymore. But, you know. Yeah, another, next year, folks, 2021. But until 2021 comes, and coming December 1st, 2020, we have a joyful ride for you. <laughs> so, James, lots of twists and turns. Yeah. down burn. <laughs> so, James, how can people keep in touch with what you're doing? And, and uh, is there? Do you have a, a site or Instagram or, or tweets or anything? Instagram. I, I, you know, I'm getting better at it, especially with now that Beast Mode's coming out, and I need to be a little bit more proactive. I think with everything that was going on with the year, I just didn't feel like I wanted to. I felt like people needed to be paying more attention to certain things than what I was posting on Instagram. But I'm ready to come back. You know, I think we have also a bright future ahead of us, or at least a different future ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So I can, um, and I promise to all my fans, I will be posting lots of news. I have a pilot called For Nothing that I finished with Michael Madsen and Robert Lissardo and Daniel Baldwin that's hopefully coming soon. Oh, Michael's been a a guest on the show, too. That's my. Actually, I did two pilots with him this year, so we're waiting to hear about either one. Wow. Um, I did a movie called I Challenger with uh, Coy Williams and Margaret Cho. Yes, um, yeah. And another colorful cast of, like, eclectic uh, character actors that, you know, have these amazing cameos. And I'm really excited about that. So that and many other projects, uh, like, you, like you said, if you, anyone checks my IMDb, I will be updating information from now on regularly on all my upcoming projects for those who are interested and for those who are not totally cool <laughs> <laughs> well james I, I i cannot thank you enough for for being a guest here on on screen and beyond and uh, i i've had a blast so it's it's been fun it has been fun brian thank you so much for this and you know really it's like it's it's my same thank you for having me because this is my same opinion as i have making movies we could ha- be doing anything else and caught up anywhere else in the world right now. Right now, we get to be making a movie. Right now, you and I get to talk about making movies. It could be a lot worse for us. That's for sure. <laughs> so to make the most of those moments is kind of what I, I think maybe the most important thing I've pulled from making movies is that life happens in moments. And so the more you make of each moment, the richer your life will become. And I just had a very rich hour with you, and I can't thank you enough, Brian, because that made my day. What a great guy, James Duval. He's uh, on Beast Mode on December 1st. Be sure to check that one out. And also, if you get a chance and you haven't seen it, or even if you've seen it, because it's a movie you can watch over and over and over, uh, Independence Day with Will Smith. And uh, just a great film, and you can see him in there. He plays Miguel, and uh, it's just, uh, just a lot of fun. So be sure to check that one out, too. 
And, of course, you can also go back in his catalog of, geez, he's, I don't know, 100, 200, 300 movies? I, <laughs> I didn't count them, so I'm not sure. But uh, he's done all kinds of films, and be sure to check all those out, too, if you get a chance. Uh, you know, while you're sitting around, uh, you know, possibly doing nothing, just, you know, watching TV and movies and things like that. So check those out. All right, and I want to remind you that uh, a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that we're going to be having some changes coming here at On Screen and Beyond, and uh, I'll give you more information on that, and we can uh, hopefully get more people listening to On Screen and Beyond. And if you get a chance, the best thing, of course, is uh, to just tell people about On Screen and Beyond. Tell them about all the people that we have had on here. Uh, this was episode 525, so we've had uh, over 525 people because uh, we've had some shows where we've had two guests, and uh, it's just, uh, you know, we just have had so many people. So it's a lot of fun, and uh, I think they'll find somebody that they'd enjoy listening to, uh, you know, somebody they've enjoyed watching in movies or TV or music or whatever. And uh, it's just, you know, you know, we appreciate it. And if you get a chance, if you are on Facebook, be sure to like us. If you are on um, iTunes, if you're checking us out there, be sure to leave a review. That helps us out. And uh, we'll let you know what's going on. But for now, it's a wrap of On Screen and Beyond. So until next time, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zimrak. Take care. Take care.